0: Jesus House in pursuit of God discovering purpose maximizing potential impacting lives this message is being brought to you from Jesus House London god bless you father we worship you god we honor you with all of our hearts You are God and God alone. We're grateful for the privilege of worship, O God. And even now, we invite you, O Lord God Almighty, to come and inhabit our hearts, O God. Inhabit this place, everlasting Father. Let your presence fill this place, O God. Lord Jesus, we enthrone you in our hearts. And sweet Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and have your way in our lives, O God. Let your will be done, everlasting Father. And most importantly... Let our lives glorify you. In Jesus' name we have worshiped. Amen. Go on, let's give God a, a, a clap offering. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. God bless you guys. Hallelujah. You know, over the last many weeks, we have been looking critically at the heart. And I really, really encourage you, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't been doing so already, to join on this journey as we look at our hearts. And the reason is important, I mean, sorry, the reason is obvious, uh, as we've said over the many, many, many weeks. The reason is because our hearts are the center of our lives. And the scriptures help us understand this In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that's been our anchor scripture over the last few weeks. I paraphrase when he says that we should pay attention to our hearts, we should keep our hearts, we should guard our hearts because everything to do with life as we know it comes from our hearts. The Passion Translation says, So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. And today, our discussion, um, I've titled it The Heart of the Matter. Sorry, how did I say? The Heart of the Matter is the Matter of the Heart. It's actually a song that I came across, Um, it's an old song that's been there for a number of years, and I came across it. It says, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. What that simply says is that when you boil it all down, what really matters is our heart. And you know, we've used the analogy of the physical heart to help us understand how critical this is, this journey that we're pursuing. Because the physical heart, the human heart, is really the center of life. It's the organ that pumps blood through our bodies, giving oxygen to all the other organs. If the heart stops pumping blood and stops sending oxygen, the person dies. I'm sure you've heard about people who, for example, they're in a coma and the the brain is, is no longer functioning. But for as long as the heart is pumping, there's still life and there's still hope. That's how important our physical heart is. But, ladies and gentlemen, it's exactly the same with our natural hearts. And when we talk about our hearts, I want you to please have this picture in your mind. So, if you show me the diagram, please, about the heart. Because our spiritual heart, and incidentally, the word heart and soul are used interchangeably many times in the Bible. Um, they're more or less the same thing. Slight differences in some instances, but anytime you hear the heart, it's really talking about the soul and a bit more. So the heart is made up of... Sorry, the soul of man, which is the heart of man, is generally made up of those three components. Our mind. Our mind is where we receive information, where we process information, It's a seat of knowledge. The mind is where we think. That's where our thoughts come from. And I'm sure you've heard quite a number of times that the battle we face with the enemy is always with the mind in terms of how we receive information and how we process information. Then we've got the emotions. It's another part of our soul, another part of our heart. And the emotions are the seat of our feelings, it is from the emotions that we respond to stimuli around us, uh, how we react to the things around us. So something is good, we're happy. Something is not so good, we're not happy. That's coming out of the seat of your emotions. Somebody annoys you, you are angry. It comes from your emotions. And then we've got the will. The will is where... We pull all the information that is happening from the mind and the emotions together, and then we make decisions and choices in life. So, God says, the Bible says, guard everything that is happening in there, because that's really what controls your life. The other diagram I wanted to show you, just to explain um, this this. this marriage between the heart and the soul, if you give me the other picture, is one where the heart is is considered to be the totality of the soul, as I've explained to you, as well as the human spirit. But don't get bucked on that. Just remember the heart, the soul is the center of our existence. It consists of our our mind, our emotions, and our will. And that's where Everything that pertains to our life happens. The challenge, ladies and gentlemen, is that we often forget that God also has a heart. He made us in His image. He is a spirit; we are spirit beings, but He has put us in this human uh, uh, human suit that He doesn't have. But God has a heart. God has a mind, God has emotions and God has his will. And we often forget that in our Christian walk or in our in our daily walk. That's why our interaction with God is often a question of we go to Him when we have needs. You know, we want God to bless us, we want God to rescue us, we want God to do stuff and all that. And there's nothing wrong with that. God is a Father. He's happy to do all of that for us. But ladies and gentlemen, God has a heart as well, which means that He also desires certain things from us. And as importantly, it's to know that our interaction with God is always a heart interaction. It's always our heart interacting with the heart of God through our spirit and the spirit of God. And what helps us to drive that point home is is uh, a story in the Bible that you all knew that you all know about um, in the book of First Samuel. Uh, the the people at a King and God gave them Saul and then Saul messed up and then God asks Samuel to go and anoint another king from the house of Jesse and Samuel gets there he sees the firstborn of Jesse Eliab tall handsome man similar to Saul incidentally similar to him and then Saul thinks I and mean, Samuel thinks instantly that this must be the next king well, listen to what God says first Samuel chapter 16 verse 7 he says but the Lord said to Samuel Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And it's so important, ladies and gentlemen, that we understand this. Our walk with God is a heart walk. It's a heart interaction. God is not impressed by the external appearances. He's not fooled by the things that we do. No wonder, you know, one of the things that drove Jesus mad during his time on earth were the Pharisees. He always called them hypocrites. And you know, the Greek word for hypocrites, hupo, means an actor. What it meant is that they were always acting, pretending to be doing stuff, but they didn't know that Jesus could see right into the heart. That's how God interacts with us, and that's why this journey is so important, ladies and gentlemen. That we do everything that is in our power to ensure that we have the right heart connection with god but then like i said to you ladies and gentlemen please understand god has a heart and he's always looking for people that care about his heart care about his own needs in second chronicles chapter 16 i think it is second chronicles chapter Yes, chapter 16. The Bible says, and I paraphrase, it says that God is searching throughout the whole earth, looking for people whose hearts are committed to him. You know, that word search should show you how how important and intense it is, that God is looking everywhere. What is he looking for? He's looking at all our hearts and he's wondering, whose heart is after the heart of God, instead of after our things. But then, here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible says God looks around. He's looking at hearts. And then what does he find? He finds things that are just far from what he determined in the beginning. Listen to how he puts it in Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10 in the New Living Translation. This is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, "...the human heart is the most deceitful of all things." and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. The message translation puts it this way. It says, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. That's a heart. It says, but I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. That has always been the challenge, ladies and gentlemen. And that's why when God removed Saul as king, he makes this profound statement. And that's really where I'd like, to, I'd like us to challenge ourselves today in today's discussion. Because when he removed Saul, he was angry because Saul had disobeyed him. And then he says to Samuel, go and tell Saul, and I'm going to read it from the Bible, the way he says it. First Samuel chapter 13, from verse 13. This is Samuel speaking to to, to Saul after he disobeyed God. He says, How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the the, the, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. Remember, God is always searching, looking for hearts. He looks all over the earth and he's saying, my God, there are problems with these human hearts. They're evil, they're wicked. You know, they're always thinking deceitful things. Not the kind of heart that I can walk with. But then he searches and finds one man and says, you know, this one I can walk with. I love the way... The Apostle Paul puts it in the book of Acts when he recounts this same thing in Acts chapter 13, verse 21. Very instructive, ladies and gentlemen. Again, in the New Living Translation, it says, Then the people begged for a king. This is recounting what happened, history. And God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David Let me pause there. Anytime I read this scripture, I always pause to pray for myself. May God never have cause to remove you. May God never have cause to replace you from anything. It says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. The message translation says, but then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, out of the tribe of Benjamin. After Saul had ruled 40 years, God removed him from office and put King David in his place with this commendation, this commendation. I've searched the land and found this David, son of Jesse, a man whose heart beats to my heart, a man who will do what I tell him, a man who pursues the heart of God. And that helps us understand, ladies and gentlemen, that God's plan, God's intention had always been that his creation, you and I, that we would represent his heart. God's intention was not that we come from God, we come to the earth, and then our hearts are doing everything that, everything that we want to do and not what God wants to do. That has always been God's challenge with humanity. But then he says, I found this one man whose heart beats in sync with my heart. And what we wanted to do today, ladies and gentlemen, is just go on a little journey. What was it about David's heart? What is it about David's heart that commended him to God? What are the things that we can learn from David that will help us in this journey where we're critically looking at our hearts to make sure that our our hearts are right with God. And incidentally, I'm sure you know, when we talk about David, (laughs) it's not that David was perfect. You you know, he he committed a number of sins that were quite appalling, to say the least. So it wasn't about perfection. But there was something about David's heart. And when we ask ourselves the question, what was it about David's heart? One of the ways that we get the answer is to go forward first and then come backwards. I'd like you to please turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36 was God's remedy for hearts, evil, wicked, corrupted hearts that were being displayed by his people then in those days. Ezekiel 30, 36 from verse Twenty-four. I'll read in the New Living Translation. It says, "For I will gather you." He's speaking to his children, sending a message to his children, the Israelites. "For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your field will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols." Verse twenty-six. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. But listen to this. This was the problem. This is the problem. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. God says, that's the problem. The message translation says, for here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you out of these countries, gather you from all over, and bring you back to your own land. I'll pour pure water over you and scrub you clean. Scrub you clean of your sins. And then it says, I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that is God-willed, not self-willed. That is the challenge. If you remember our description, that Your soul is made up of your your mind, your emotions, and your will. So God is saying that the problem with the human heart is that rather than being directed and focused on what God wants, it's focused on what he wants. And guess what? The result is that the heart of man becomes stone, hard, unresponsive. I was going to bring a stone to, to, to church and just hold the stone, you know, just, just to show, you know, how a stone is hard. You try to squash it and you hurt, you hurt yourself instead. And then I thought it would have been good if I could bring a human heart to church as well, you know, and hold it. But I you know half of you will run away. But, but, but you know, I, I just imagined holding the heart. Do you know the human heart is soft and squishy? You know, you, 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 you squeeze it. And, you know, it, 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 it compresses. It has to be soft and squishy, ladies and gentlemen, because that's the only way it can pump properly. If a heart becomes hard, if the human heart becomes hard, as it does when there are diseases, you know, um, the medics will tell you, if, you know, the problems that we talked about, high blood pressure and uh, high sugar and cholesterol, not, you know what those things do? They start to harden the arteries that lead to the heart, and then the the muscles of the heart as well. So after a while, the heart becomes diseased and becomes hard. So it's not able to pump blood the way it's supposed to, and then leads to heart attacks and all that. It's exactly the same with the human heart. That when the heart becomes hard, instead of squishy in the hands of God, then God cannot have his way in our lives. These hearts that are self-willed or self-centered, instead of god will. So we look at David, and we're saying, this man that God commended, what was it about his heart? What commended him to God? And the five things that we're going to run through very quickly. As we do so, you know, I, when I was preparing, I felt the Holy Spirit say, you know, as you're looking at at David's heart bring out your own heart and put it side by side don't bring out your heart you know, but but you understand you know bring out your heart and lay it on the table beside what we're doing let's compare and contrast and see let's see if there's anything that we can learn from this man that God commended let's dissect his heart and see how it compares to our heart five things Actually, more than five things, but we just want to look at five things very quickly. What was it about David's heart? First of all, ladies and gentlemen, David feared God. Everything about David was predicated on the fear of God. And I'm sure you know by now that the fear of God doesn't mean one is afraid of God. It means that one has very high regard for God. One honors God in everything that one does, and you want to please God in everything that you do. That was David for you, ladies and gentlemen. Everything David did was always a question of whether this is what God wants or not. And when you contrast it to ourselves, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm I'm sure you'll agree that more times than not, we've done what we want before we remember to come and see, oh, does God approve of this or not? It happens all the time. Remember, the heart of stone that... Cannot be controlled by God. It's self-willed. It's, you know, the, 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 our minds are thinking about the things that we want. Our emotions are reacting the way that we want. Our will is deciding what we want. But God says for David, it's different. Every way that he responds, every way that he reacts, the things that he thinks, he's thinking, is this pleasing to God or not pleasing to God? It's interesting, talking about comparisons, that Saul that was removed for David, he feared, God, he feared man more than God. Because the incident that actually nailed and put a stop to his reign, God sends him to, God sends him to destroy all the Amalekites because of all the, the wickedness they had shown to the children of Israel. So Saul goes with his army, and they destroy all of the Amalekites. But guess what? He spares the king of the Amalekites. And then himself and his men, they choose the best of the sheep and the best of the oxen. And they kept them for themselves. But God has said, destroy everything. So Samuel comes and says, why didn't you obey? Why didn't you do what God said to do? He first of all denies and says that I did. And then Samuel says, what, 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 what is this that I'm hearing? The, the, the bleating of the sheep and all that. And then he says, he says, uh, he says, um, let me paraphrase. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's and the Lord's command. For I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, that typifies a lot of us. We are more afraid of people than God. We are more concerned about what, what people think about us than what God thinks about you and I. David feared God and he determined Everything that he did. Number two, David had a humble heart. He was a very humble man. And you know why? He understood where he was coming from. He knew that he was nothing. A shepherd in the back desert, in the the backside of the desert. He knew very well in his heart that if it wasn't for God that brought him up from that place, he would not be where he was. Every time you read the psalms and they have introductions, it's not all of them, but every time you you see an introduction, you'll say, a psalm of David, a servant of God. That's how he saw himself. A servant of God, a servant of people. His heart was always lowly before God, as in, you know, I'm nothing without this God. There's nothing in me that I can arrogate to myself. Even my kingship. And again, when you contrast to... to to Saul, (laughs) because it it paints a good picture of contrast. Saul, on the other hand, thought so much about himself, you, you won't believe, you won't believe, you won't believe this. Samuel had come to him to say to him, Your kingship is over. Your reign is over. God is not happy with you because your heart is not in sync with the heart of God because you disobeyed God and all that. First of all, he tries to make excuses. And then, you know, he says it's the people that that, that he was afraid of. And then Samuel turns away. Guess what this man does? He pulls Samuel back and says, Don't go, don't go. Do me one thing. At least follow me to go and worship so that I will be honored in the eyes of people. What a joke. So he was still thinking about himself instead of rolling on the floor, hearing the judgment of God. That's what happens when a man's heart or woman's heart becomes prouder than it should be. But David's heart was always humble before God. Number three, David trusted God. I said in the first service that I have to confess to you um, I don't I, I don't know whether it happens to the other pastors but anytime I'm preparing a message and you know these are the things that the spirit of God has laid on your heart to to speak every time without fail I get to a point where I start feeling Lord, I can't go and be saying that to the people, Lord, because I am as guilty. So when I got to this point, when it says, David trusted God, I thought, you know, I I just put up my hand. A big challenge, trusting God. And you're wondering, why is it that we don't trust God? Why is it that we don't have confidence in God? David had implicit confidence in God, ladies and gentlemen. Anything God told him to do, he would do. Trusted God to have his back. And that's why God was able to walk through him and walk with him all of the time. Psalm 21 verse 7. It says, for the king trust in God. It was a declaration. I trust in you. It's not, it's not the, the, the up and down trust that happens to us. You know, we trust God today and then we go through circumstances and then the next day some we face another challenge. Guess what? We forget what God did yesterday. And we're still dithering in our trust and confidence with God. But David always trusted God. Did you, have you ever wondered... Have you ever wondered, I didn't say this in the first service, have you ever wondered, ladies and gentlemen, what got into David's head when he went and confronted Goliath? Have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered, ladies and gentlemen? You know, in human terms, it was madness. This nine feet tall, whatever, and David was 17 years old at the time. What got into his head? The Bible tells us what got into his head. The Bible says that he remembered how he killed lions when they chased after the sheep. And he knew that it wasn't his strength. He knew that it was God because no man confronts a lion just like that. So when he saw this, this, this Goliath, ladies and gentlemen, he, he actually did not see Goliath. He saw God. That's confidence in God. Number four. And this is really where it gets challenging. David's heart was yielded to God. And that's, what, the, the, what, that, that's what, what God was saying in Ezekiel 36. A lot of our hearts are not yielded to God. A lot of our hearts are not sensitive to God. A lot of our hearts are not squishy, squashy in God's hands. God can't even squeeze our hearts. If he tries, we shout at God or bite God. Because you want to do it the way you, you want to. You know, God, you, you, you come. Some, some, somebody, somebody comes and annoys you and speaks rudely at you and all that. Guess what? Your emotion that reacts to stimuli, what would your emotion do? Your emotion wants to react back. Somebody has just abused you and said horrible things about you. So you're angry. And then the Spirit of God, because we have the Spirit of God in us, the Spirit of God whispers to you and says, nah, no, no, just, just apologize to him. You say, get behind me, Satan. It cannot be the Spirit of God. How can the Spirit of God tell me to apologize when somebody has hurt me? You know what's happening? It's a hard heart that is not allowing God to squeeze it. But David, <laughs> David was... Yielded. He was so sensitive to the displeasures of God. He was so ready to repent when, when when he did something wrong. Psalm fifty-one. How many would agree with, with? Every time you read Psalm fifty-one, don't you feel the heart of David? Can somebody testify to that? That was a heart that was so yielded to God, so sensitive to God. Did not want to displease God at all. As soon as he finds something is not pleasing to God, he goes and repents before God. I read, uh, I read uh, somewhere that, do you know that David committed more sins than Saul? He actually committed more sins than Saul. But the reason why God did not kill David, the reason why God did not remove David, was because of his heart. He says, this heart I can walk with. This one is too hard for me. Number five, as I end. David loved God. David loved God. Every psalm you read in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, is a heart discussion between David's heart and God's heart. It was a love discussion of someone who understood the love of God. And we talked about that last week when Pastor Agu preached about the love of God and having a revelation of the love of God. David had a revelation of the love of God. He knew God loved him, and he loved God back. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen? And this is the one that really challenges, challenges me. He knew the love of God. He knew God was his father. He loved God, but he also understood the heart of the father. That what God wants is that our hearts will reflect the heart of God. So David was always... Showing the heart of God to the people around him. First Samuel, no, Second Samuel, chapter nine, a story that blew my mind completely. Second Samuel, chapter nine. David has just been made king. What's the first thing that he does? We hear that when a new king comes on the throne, the first thing that he does is he eliminates. All the people from the previous dynasty, so that nobody from the previous kingship or dynasty will come to contend with them. So they often kill off the sons of the previous king and all that. But what did David do? What was his first act when he became king, ladies and gentlemen? Second Samuel chapter 9. He looks around and says, Is there anybody left in the house of Jonathan that I can show kindness to? He knew that it was the love of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God that brought him to the throne. Guess what? He's looking for who he's going to show, the same kindness and love that God showed him. All that we we would have such a heart, ladies and gentlemen. All that our hearts would be wanting to show the goodness, the qualities of God to the people around us, instead of showing our own nature to people. You know, Dr. Nuzo said something Um, That really struck me as I end. He gave an analogy that I want to give to you. If somebody comes to meet you and says, "Um, I'm really going through tough times. Things are really hard. Now, they don't ask you for anything. They just say, I'm really going through tough times. Things are really hard. Now, the expectation is that you should bless them with some money because they're going through tough times. But you just say to them, ah, God bless you. God be with you, my sister. The Lord will provide for you. The Lord will make a way. And you know we do that a lot. And then the person starts to walk away. And then as soon as they turn around, the Spirit of God says, bless them with a hundred pounds. A hard (laughs) heart. The will that is self-focused and self-centered, is thinking, the mind is thinking, ah, I don't have enough to do this, I don't have enough to do that. That's all that's going through your mind. But the mind that is squishy and soft in God's hand says, okay, I'll give him 100 pounds. Guess what? You call the person back and say, Pastor Demerlin, actually, um, this is 100 pounds. Guess what? The person says, oh, thank you so much. For your kindness. Dr. Onuza said, no, it is not you being kind. It is the kindness of God working through you. Does somebody understand? Because in our nature, we don't have any kindness at all. We don't. We don't. We are selfish, crooked, corrupt. Sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) But what God wants is to fix our hearts so that our hearts reflect His heart. And that's What David understood, ladies and gentlemen. So today, we challenge ourselves. We put our hearts on the dissecting table next to David's heart. What is the state of your heart? You know the good news, and there's always good news with the things of God, is that God doesn't want to leave our hearts the way that they are. That's why he sent Jesus Christ, his son, and that was a massive sacrifice. You've heard this so many times. I hope you appreciate it every time that you hear it. Because for God to send his son was the greatest act of love to humanity. And why? Because He didn't want our hearts to be so evil and corrupted that we're separated from him. So guess what? He sends Jesus, his son, to die on the cross, to make atonement for our sins, to wash our sins. Now, meanwhile, our hearts are still corrupt. But guess what? Every time we come to God, because no evil heart can come before a holy God. But because of Jesus Christ, because of the blood on the cross, every time you and I come to the holy God, a holy God to worship God, God does not see our heart. He sees Jesus' heart. That's why he sent Jesus. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus didn't just come to die for our sins, to make atonement for our sins so that we're reconciled to God. He also came to emulate, to show us the heart of God. And the whole idea is that as we see Jesus, we start to represent the heart of God to the people around us. Isn't it amazing, ladies and gentlemen, that everything that I've said to you, the five things and more about David's heart, they're exactly what Jesus demonstrated. Jesus was humble before his father. He he, he kept saying that all he wanted to do was to do the father's will. Jesus was kind and gracious to us. And so... The challenge for you and I is, are we going to let God squeeze our hearts? Are we going to let God change our hearts? That's why we're going on this journey. Let me end with this scripture. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. David is old. He's about to pass on the baton to his son Solomon. Look at his advice to Solomon. He says, And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. With your whole heart, the entirety of your will, your mind, your emotions, and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. May the Lord never reject any one of us. And he has already shown that he wouldn't reject us because that's the reason why he sent his son, our Lord and Savior Jesus, to save us, to reconcile us, but also to help us in this journey of renewing our hearts. I end with two things, a challenge and a blessing. A challenge and a blessing. This is the challenge. Psalm 139, I'd like us to read together, verses 1 to 4 and verses 23 and 24, I think the last two verses, Psalm 139. This is the challenge. As we go about our daily activities, remembering that God is looking for hearts that will be in sync with his own heart, this is the challenge. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. Verse 2, you know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. Verse 4, verse 4, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it. All that is just David acknowledging that God interacts with the heart and sees the heart. And then in the last two verses, this is the challenge. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I pray that you and I will take on this challenge. It's what God wants to do. He doesn't want to leave you and I in the states that we are. Regardless of how we got there, He wants to change our hearts, so that our hearts will beat in sync with his own heart. And I leave you with this blessing. Amos chapter 9, verse 11. Amos chapter 9, it says, In that day I will restore the fallen house of David. Can somebody say amen to that? You know why? Because after David, David became the benchmark for every king that came on after him. If you read the scriptures, they'll say, And Amaziah became the king of Judah. But he did not do like his ancestor David. Or did, so David became the benchmark. As David becomes the benchmark for you and I through Christ Jesus. But then successive dynasties of kingship just turned further and further away from God to the point that Jerusalem and Israel were destroyed. But God's promise to you and I, ladies and gentlemen... Is that he will restore everything that is broken in your life. He says, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls. From the ruins, I will rebuild it. And restore its glory. That is God's plan for your life, ladies and gentlemen. He doesn't want to leave your heart the way it is. He doesn't want to leave my heart the way it is. God says, I will walk with you. I will restore you. I will rebuild you. Why? So that your life. Will bring glory to God. Let's bow our heads. Can you just do that symbolically this afternoon? Just bring out your heart. Bring bring it out. Imagine you are the sojourn operating on yourself. Just bring out your heart and lay it on the table and just say to Lord God, Lord, examine, examine it. And show me. Show me whatever I need to walk on. Squeeze me, oh God, the way a soft heart is meant to be squeezed so that I will reflect your heart to the people around me. And as we pray for ourselves, I, I want to make a call. If there's anyone here or anyone listening online, or if you're listening later and you know that you don't have a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about singing and praying and all that. Remember, those things can be external things if your heart is not knit with the heart of God. And that relationship begins when a heart surrenders itself completely to God and saying, Lord, forgive me for trying to live without you, trying to... You know, live a self-willed life. But today, I'm inviting you to come and take control of my heart. Take control of my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. If there's anyone here in the auditorium who is saying that prayer in your heart, you want to respond to this invitation of God to bring Jesus into your heart. If you just please raise up your hand um, so I see it's between you and God. It's not about anybody at all. If anyone's doing that, I want to pray with you. If you just say after me, Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me. And I thank you for demonstrating that by sending your son Jesus to die for my sins so that I can be reconciled to you. Today, I open my heart to you, I repent of my sins the way that I've lived my life before. And I'm asking that from today, you will take control of my life. Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Come into my heart and be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name we have prayed. And Father, for as many as have prayed this prayer, and for the rest of us, O oh Lord God Almighty, who. We'll I'd prayed the prayer before, but we recognize that you are doing a new thing in our hearts. We ask that you come again, O God, and just take absolute control of our hearts. Blessed be your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray.